Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Sunny Mary Meadow podcast. I am your host, Liz Fiddler. And today we are going to be digging deeper into dahlias. You guys absolutely loved the couple of episodes that we already put out about the dahlias and people have been saying, hey, give us more dahlia content and here we are. So unfortunately, with scheduling conflicts, I wasn't able to get the twins to record these couple episodes, but these are going to be a little bit more informative and just a little bit different than the other two dahlias episodes were. And that was the twins from Blooming Creek. If you didn't go back to Dahlia Part 1 and Dahlia Part 2, we now have Dahlia Part 3, and I bet there's going to be a Dahlia Part 4. Really, you know, when it comes to flowers, it's, it's kind of like it's kind of like food. You know, there's, there's steak, and there's desserts, and there's entrees, and there's appetizers, and flowers, there's so much variety, and literally Dahlias could be, especially when it comes to cut flowers, I mean, Dahlias are their own... I mean, it's like calling them a dessert, right? There's cakes, there's cookies, there's macarons, which I used to call them macaroons. And one of my friends corrected me, they're macarons. But I mean, their dahlias alone are kind of like, kind of like desserts. I don't know. There's so many different kinds and classify them differently, but we're going to kind of get into that because, so remember I'm in zone 4B in Minnesota, you know, so if that gives you some reference of where we're at. So most of the time, like most growers around here will wait until the spring to do their dahlia sales because, well, that's when, if I, if I end up doing a dahlia tuber sale and, and I don't know, I mean, it's very trying to decide if I would do that. I would maybe sell some, some to local people. I don't know if I will ever get to the point where I ship them out. Just kind of depends on what my business model is and the resources and the help that I have to do. And cause it's a lot of work and a lot of manpower to, to divide the dahlias. And so I know like the twins have a really good dahlia sale in the spring and they like to wait until the spring because they don't know how their customer is going to store them. So if they, if they sell these dahlia tubers in the fall and you know, they tell you, okay, you need to store it this way, this way, this way, you know, make sure it stays alive. We don't want it to get dehydrated. We don't want it to get mushy. We don't want it to get moldy. If you've never done it before, Odds are in the spring, they'll get a bunch of nightmare emails that say, well, my plant died, my dahlia died, when really this tuber is a living thing, it's just dormant. And so for that reason, they like to wait until the spring to see what they have, make sure that they stored it properly, because losses can happen even when you know what you're doing. And so they want to make sure that their tubers have survived the winter, and then they say how many they have for sale, because they also need some for their own reproduction, they need some for their own flower farm for their own business. And so they'll see how many extras they have of the varieties because they don't need a hundred of each plant. However, there's a lot of flower farms that will do their sale in the fall. And they say, you know what, you'll get these individual tubers and it is up to you to keep them alive. And especially with some of these rare tubers, I can't even describe some of these websites. I mean, it's ruthless. Like you have to have your list ahead of time, add to cart, check out. I mean, it's worse than Taylor Swift tickets. I'm not kidding. It's, it's really hard to get these rare varieties. And, you know, what I'm finding for my business is that my customers, you know, they like the color, they like the style. But besides that, you know, if I say, well, this, this dahlia, this one is really expensive. And so this bouquet is $45 because it has this kind of dahlia in it. That's not what my customer wants. They don't want, you know, it, it if it's a pink dahlia, okay, cool. Or if it's a blush colored dahlia, cool. But if it's, if it's this certain variety, 
they're, they're not going to necessarily want to pay a premium for it. And that's not the type of product that I sell. Whereas I think, you know, eventually I think the goal for the twins, and I, I don't know if I should speak to what I think their flower farm is, but you know, people go there to see different kinds of dahlias because they have 50 different kinds of dahlias. And so it's just, you know, their dahlia specialties. Whereas I've got, yes, I've got 500 dahlia plants, but as long as I have some dahlias in each bouquet as focal flowers, my customers are pretty happy. So when you are choosing your dahlias, when you are on this dahlia sale and you're trying to buy some tubers, so the American Dahlia Society, they call it the ADS system, American Dahlia Society system, ADS system, and they have six different sizes, 20 forms, and 17 colors is what is how they classify it at. And I've gathered a lot of this information from both the American Dahlia Society website and then Aaron Benzican from Florette Farms has a book called Discovering Dahlias and it is an amazing book. Um, I'm going to include the link to that in the episode notes if you're interested in that book. It's it's beautiful. It's it's such a good guide. So the anatomy of a tuber. So remember tubers are like like roots, like a potato. So they need a body, a neck, and an eye. If they don't have an eye, they're not going to produce a plant for next year. So it's just like your potato, your little sprout. You can cut them in half, cut them in fourths, but only if they have a little eye, sprouting is where it's going to produce a new plant. And the tuber can be skinny, it can be fat, it can be long, it can be short. It doesn't really matter. The tuber size does not equal plant size, and the tuber size does not equal flower size. The same exact plant can give off different size tubers. Usually they're fairly uniform. They're all kind of either short and chunky or long and skinny or whatever they might be. And some of them, especially those pencil thin ones, if they give off that, they can be hard to store. And those are ones that I especially like to wait until the spring to divide because I feel like they have a better chance of surviving the winter if they're all kind of clumped together with dirt around them. But again, it's it's kind of a horse apiece and it depends on that. But So most groups say there are, you know, like I said, the American Dahlia Society says six sizes, other groups say eight sizes, but when you're reading this size, so there's pompon, mini ball, miniature ball, small, medium, large, and giant. So pom-poms are up to two inches and they're like the size of a lollipop. They're really cute in little bouquets. They kind of look like Crespedia flowers. Think of it as like, you know, a bubblegum sucker or Tootsie Pop. That's kind of what they look like. Mini balls are two to three and a half inches in size. Miniature are up to four inches. And then we have the ball, which is basically it has to be a rounded size and over three and a half inches. That is what most cut flower growers will grow around here because they're just so versatile. They can be done. They're big enough for event work like weddings and bigger centerpieces, but they're small enough for smaller market size cut flower bouquets. And they just, they have a really long vase life because the bigger and more delicate the dahlias get, they only last a few days in the vase. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick break from this episode to talk about something else. We're going to talk about my course that I'm launching this fall, Petaling Perishable Products. So they are essentially, if you like the episodes where I tell you how to grow the flowers, I really think you're going to like the episodes where I tell you how to sell the flowers. Ultimately, I tried creating some podcast episodes talking about how I do things and it just felt incomplete and I really want to make a difference and I want to make it easier on you and I don't want you to find out how to do things the hard way. If you want more information on how to sell your flowers and turn it into a comprehensive business, 
Click the link within this episode notes and sign up for a Calendly call. I promise it's not intimidating. It's 15 minutes. I'm going to tell you the stats on my sales. I'm going to give you information on the course. Ultimately, if at the end of the phone call, the answer is no or not yet, I promise no hard feelings. I just really, really want to help you turn your cut flower hobby into a successful business if that's what you want to do. Again, no hard feelings. Just sign up on the Calendly link. Thanks. And then the small are four to six inches. The medium are six to eight inches. And so this is kind of the biggest that people will go for like actual flower arranging. And then once you get into the large and giant, for the most part, these are ones that, I mean, the giant ones are 10 inches or larger and they are very delicate and they are used. They are the ones entered in the state fair for a contest. They are the ones entered by the American Dahlia Society, you know, just to grow for the sake of growing. Kind of like the largest pumpkin probably doesn't taste very good. The largest steer probably doesn't taste very good. Bigger isn't always better. It's more just growing for size at that point. These giant dahlias, they're they're delicate. They're used for contests, but they're not exactly useful in any sort of design work unless it is a same day event with a huge install for a wedding or something like that, but they're, they're not exactly practical. And that's why these flowers can be so expensive. However, especially the large ones that are around eight to 10 inches or the medium ones that are six to eight inches, those are really, really cool in your garden, in your general landscape garden. You're not necessarily going to use them for cutting, but they can, they last significantly longer on the plant than they would in the vase. And so that's what can be really cool about them. And especially, you know, we talked about this in our previous episode, how it's so important to pinch so that you get smaller stem sizes, the actual stem, not the flower, but the stem, you know, so it's not the size of a broomstick that you would put in a vase, but then they branch off and they produce more flowers. And then what's nice about that, although if you don't pinch them in some of these giant dahlias, they can get like eight feet tall, which is also kind of a cool statement piece if you've you know there's people that put giant dahlias in their backyard and don't pinch them you know if that's the look you're going for you know that's that's okay but you're only going to get one stem and then it's only going to be blooming for a couple weeks kind of like a sunflower so after you have the different varieties the different kinds which basically correlate to the size then we have the forms and it's important to know you know, when you're buying these dahlias, sometimes they don't have a photo on them. And so the first time I bought some tubers, I'm like, well, I want some dahlias. And I had no idea what I was looking for. And I was like, oh, well, those look cool or this name of variety. And they didn't have a photo next to it. It was just a local grower, which I totally understand. We, I mean, I don't have time to take pictures of all of the dahlias that I grow. I wish I did. I might have some pictures of it in a bouquet, but I don't have this perfectly organized, you know, collection of photos. I don't have a professional photographer here. So sometimes it's just the name of the dahlia. And so there are 18 forms and it's important to know which ones you like and what the use is going to be for them. There are some cactus varieties that I love. Kogane Fugakani, I think I'm saying that right. That's one that I have that everyone seems to love, but it doesn't have a very long base life. It looks really unique, but I let people know that it's not here for a long time. It's here for a good time. So those cactus ones and those dinner plates and large decorative ones don't, they don't last very long in the vase, but they look beautiful. They are, they are your like four to eight inch inch wide ones. But, you know, when you're using them for market fresh bouquets, they're not exactly the best. And so I like the ball or the miniature or the pompon varieties. They're just, you know, that circular shape and they just work really well in a lot of different event works for cut flowers. Now, some of them can look a lot more like 
daisy looking or orchids. And so actually orchid is a variety where they have that open center and they look more like a, I mean, they could even pass for a unique zinnia or a unique Cosmo and they just look so different. And so that's what a lot of the, a lot of different varieties are that people, but people don't necessarily value them in cut flowers the way they would. If I put a whole bunch of those and I was like, yeah, those are dahlias. Those are four bucks a piece or whatever they might be. Customers aren't aren't necessarily seeing that. They want the dahlias that they're used to. They want the the water lily style with more of the curved petals. And so it's important to know which variety you're looking for when you get on these sales. So there's informal, decorative, formal, decorative, stellar, peony, ball, miniature ball, pompon. And again, these are also, what's confusing is those are sizes and their shapes, size classifications and their shapes. Um, orchid, orquette, single... Minion single, semi-cactus, straight cactus, incurved cactus. So those cactus ones are just kind of spiky looking. They look like a sea creature of some sort. Lacinated, water lily, anemone. I really, really like that variety. I don't have any of those, but I know the twins have quite a few of those. And whenever I say the twins, I'm talking about Mallory and Megan from Blooming Creek that were on the first couple episodes, but they're, they almost look like a, a cone flower, if I would describe it that way. They're really pretty and unique. I definitely want to get some varieties of those. And then there's some novelty ones that are um, just a little bit more unique looking and have that open center. And so when when you're looking for dahlias, for me as a cut flower farmer, if I were to invest, if I were to go back and say, okay, here's the dahlias that you should buy. Don't just buy the fun ones. Don't just buy the ones you like. Buy ones that are going to be useful in bouquets if you're trying to sell them. And those are the ball varieties. I would say, you know, you can never go wrong with whites, at least right now. That's the color trend because you can mix them with other things, whites and your corals. And then the other thing that I like to keep in mind is for me in Minnesota, they are not prolific enough until late August. And that's when people are in the mood for fall. So I don't like to do a lot of hot pinks. I'll do more blush pinks, corals, even though I love the hot pink ones. Those are my favorite, but people don't want those in September. So those are hard to mix in with bouquet arrangements. So I try to steer away from those colors of bouquets because they're not the fall colors anyway. And so I try to go with more moody, dark, you know, the dark purples, the Ivanettis, the Cornell bronze, which leads me to the next step of talking about colors. All right, podcast listeners, I have an ask of you. Between writing these episodes, recording, editing, uploading, and the fees to even have an account, this podcast takes a lot of time, effort, and resources. I'm fortunate to have a team helping me out, but it's time to evaluate where this podcast is going and if we can continue doing this. I have had so many messages and emails letting me know that this podcast has brought some bit of joy to people's day or week and is entertaining, inspiring, or in some other day just improves their life, their drive, whatever it might be. And I want to keep this podcast focused on content that informs, entertains, and is mindful of your time. And one way to accomplish this is through direct listener support. Your support would help the show not only continue, but grow. If you look at this episode's notes, you'll find a link that talks about Sunny Mary Meadow Premium. I've set up a link where you can quickly and easily support the show and the whole thing takes about 60 seconds. We are asking for $7 a month to help continue our mission. If the Sunny Mary Meadow podcast is a part of your day or week and you love what you're doing, please visit the link and consider supporting us. 
as a special thank you, you will receive access to weekly bonus episodes of what we did on the farm that week. It's anywhere from a five to 15 minute episode. So think of that $7 as a high five to keep us going and creating the episodes. So it's less than $2 a week just to keep us going so we can keep doing this. Thank you. Like I said, there are about 20... Well, let me see. Again, the American Dahlia Society has classified 17 different colors. Okay. So we are going to go through what those color classifications are. So some examples of white dahlias are the AC Caspers and then Boom Boom White. So AC Caspers are the decorative big ones that kind of look like Cafe Olay's. Not really, but they're the dinner plate ones that size. But Boom Boom White is the ones that I enjoy doing the most. I have a ton of those. I'm going to plant way more of them next year. They don't necessarily, sometimes they blow their center open, but for the most part, they don't. They're three to four inches, creamy white ball shaped with strong stems. And they're just great for weddings or events or just regular bouquets. So I really like those white varieties or the, that's my favorite variety of white. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the color. And I mean, there's, there's a hundred varieties for every single color, but I'm going to say my favorite one within those yellow. I would say if I was going to get some yellow ones, I really enjoy CG Amber. They're kind of like a glossy green foliage. And so that's what gives that that name. But again, that's the vault, the ball variety that I like. Then when it comes to a blush and champagne, of course, it's your Cafe Olay, which is the queen, right? That is literally what the queen of all flowers is the Cafe Olay Dahlias. I have like a hundred of them. They are just so well known. And that's, you know, the variety. I try to make sure everyone gets at least one of those in a subscription at some point. But again, I tell people it's going to die after three or four days. It just is. We'll talk about vase life in a little bit, probably in the next episode in part four. The other blush variety that is really popular is the Wizard of Oz, which is a mini ball. So that's what I was do- would do if I was getting the blush varieties. Peach. These are great because they can be more of a orange, pink. You can mix them with a lot of things. They can mix with summer colors. They can mix with fall colors. They can transition long. So I, if I was, I mean, that would be the one color I would really go heavy on if you were trying to just get started with which ones you're going to do. I love my Joey Winnie's, J-O-W-E-Y, or sorry, Joey Nicky's. There are Joey Winnie's too, but I like the Joey Nicky's better. They're just a really good ball color. And then peaches and cream. The twins grow a ton of these and they're just exquisite. They are truly exquisite. They're these salmon petals that kind of fade down to white at the tips and they're just perfect. The next one is just orange. They can be more of a bronze. Cornell bronze is the variety that I have a ton of. And I I really like those. And then brown sugar as well. But they can get a little bit more pink, I think, depending on... You know, and that's the other thing to keep in mind is two plants right next to each other of the same exact variety can be totally different. When it comes to coral, again, this is another color palette I would really go heavy on if I were starting, you know, if you're going to buy, if you're going to buy 10 tubers to start with and start your colors, I would grab a couple from the coral color pattern because again, think about when they're blooming. You don't want a ton of spring colors because they're blooming in the fall. My favorite coral ones are Snowho 
Doris and Snowho Jojo. I bought a couple of those tubers from the twins and they're very prolific. They're beautiful colors. I love them. Moving on to raspberry. I don't do a ton of these colors because like I said, when do they bloom? Caitlin's Joy is probably my favorite along with Daisy Duke. I do have a couple of those and they produce a lot, but it's just hard to, and then Joey Winnie would be the other one that I, that kind of transitions to like a coral color. But again, keep in mind, you know, that's, that's, this isn't necessarily the color that people are going to want in the fall. When it comes to pink, of course, pink is my favorite color. It's my, it's my farm's signature color. Chilson's Pride is my go-to. I have about 20 of these plants and I don't think I'm going to sell any of the tubers. I want a whole row of them next year because they have such a long base life and they do such a great job. They're they're slightly fringed and so they can make them, you know, they're just more textured and more dimension. And so they add a little extra compared to my ball varieties. And so, you know, it's considered an informal decorative rather than a ball, but they, they do really well. And so Chilson's Pride is definitely the pink variety that I go with. Next up, we have purple and... Again, keep in mind trying to, you know, a lot of lavenders are just really hard to mix within the fall color scheme. There's one called Genova that's a mini ball that is really, really pretty. And I also like Nellie's Rose. But again, I really don't have any purple ones because of the reasons that I describe. Puffin stuff is actually, I'm looking through the list right now. It's, it, it reminds us, that's the one that I said looks like a coneflower. That's exactly. So if you're looking for one that looks like a coneflower, I would say go with Puffin Snuff. <laughs> Love that name. Red, I have, I have no idea what variety it's actually called, but I call it Abe. One of my customers actually brought over a couple plants and she's like, here's the deal. This is my husband's like family dahlias. His grandma gave them to me. Apparently they started out in Abraham Lincoln's yard and they're like passed down and every grandkid gets one and everyone's got to do it. And so now it's my duty to like have these dahlias and I'm going to give some to you because I don't know if I can keep them alive, but I want you to keep them alive. So I have this whole row and they bloom really early on and they have this yellow center. And so they they do work pretty well for summer arrangements and they bloom early, um, like almost the end of July, but then they're, they're not very productive. They don't keep blooming after that initial flush, at least in the last couple of years. So I'm, I'm probably going to, probably going to reduce my size down, put it that way. I only keep a few tubers of those, but reds are hard to do. The maroon and black category is something I would also go pretty heavy on. Joey Marilyn is a really pretty variety and Ivanetti. If you're going to buy some blooms, Ivanetti is where I would go. It just, it mixes in with those fall and moody colors and you can, you can turn any really color palette a little bit more fall. If you add a few of these in there, even some, some pinks and blushes, all of a sudden, if you add some of these, it becomes fall. It's just science. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know how it works, but it just does. And so those are kind of the general categories of, you know, my favorite varieties within those colors. But so when you are buying your tubers, and again, I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to say go on the twin site, go on Blooming Creek. I've bought tubers from the Grove Flower Farm. She's based out of Wisconsin, but you know, it's not hard to find them, but I would really suggest finding a local grower, maybe one that you can pick up in person or shipping. I mean, it's just shipping is, shipping is tricky because of weather and all of that, but just 
I would not go with a big box store. They hack up their dahlias. It's different. It's just it's just different care that's put into them. Like you want that guaranteed. And there's a reason they command the price they do. But think of it as an annual. You're going to go pay 20 bucks for one hanging basket. And that's that's why. I mean, it's an entire plant that is extremely prolific. And there's a lot of work that goes into dividing the dahlias. And so those are kind of how that's my guide to classifying dahlias. Thanks for listening to the Sunny Mary Meadow podcast. I'm your host, Liz. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and rate us. You can find us on Instagram, Pinterest, and Facebook at Sunny Mary Meadow. Subscribe to our email newsletter at sunnymarymeadow.com. And if you have questions or comments or anything to say, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at sunnymarymeadow.com. Flowers, flowers, we love flowers. Sunny Mary Meadow, they smell so good. Sunny Mary Meadow dot com